Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. This week we'll cover some Catholic news. Our main topic will be continuing our conversation that we started last week on pornography. This week we'll discuss more how our previous experience with pornography, or if that's something we're still actively stuck in and can't break out of, how that distorts our view and how it impacts our relationships with our spouse and our perception of the opposite sex. Our saint this week is St. Therese of Lisieux. We'll begin with opening prayer with Bob. Thank you, Phil. Welcome, brothers. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. As we open in prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Almighty God, Lord, and Savior, thank you for another day. Another day to share in fellowship with my two brothers and with all of you listening to us today. Uh, during our broadcast today, please, Lord, infuse your spirit through everything we discuss. And we know that you are present with this, with us today. We ask this through your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. amen. In the name of the Father, Spirit, amen. Amen. And, and welcome. Welcome. Good to see you guys. Good to hear you guys again this week. Indeed, good to be seen and heard. It's always an honor to come together to be with such noble men. Likewise, I'm not sure, you're, ta- <laughs> I'm not sure you're talking about me. <laughs> okay, you two, it, yeah, we can, you two maybe, but not me. Okay, so. You're included uh, in that, Bob, we love you. I appreciate that. So, hello folks, just a couple of news things. So, since the last time, we were on and had a broadcast. Uh, the president has come out and nominated a Supreme Court Supreme Court justice. It, it was who we thought it would be, although we did give you two candidates last time. It is Amy Coney Barrett, who's a Catholic. Um, so she has been nominated, and the Senate's getting ready to start confirmation hearings. I think around the middle of October, they were going to start like the 11th or 12th, somewhere in there. You know, I listen, there's lots of, you know, things that we could discuss. Uh, you know, I ingesting a lot of this over the last week. There's a lot of people that have come out and support. Obviously, she's pro-life. Um, she has some certain views on the Affordable Care Act and some other things. And, and so I, I think there's some real positives there. But there's also some, some Catholics that have come out and, they're not really in favor of her. They don't they don't feel maybe that she's going to rule in a social justice way that that they uh, that they would think would be 
in line with the Catholic Church. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying that it just shows how the church itself is not a monolith, right? We have a lot of views under our tent. So it's just something to watch. I mean, what I what I recommend to our listeners is you go out and you do the homework. You go to the Catholic websites, Catholic news sites, you go to EWTN, go to the Council of Catholic Bishops. You read all this stuff out there and just get as much information as possible. Look at some of her decisions and you, you can make your determination that way if you think it's a good decision or not a good decision, right? Um, you know, so uh, that's kind of where we're at. We'll see how that goes. As we get closer to the election, I mean, things are going to get a lot more tense. At, as we saw in the debate a couple nights ago, which uh, I think we're going to talk more in here in the next couple of weeks when we talk more about getting ready for the election and how to discern that as a Catholic. I, it is complicated, and we talked about that in the the pre-constructive discussion. Respectful dialogue. That's what. Yeah. That's that's the term. Yeah, Respectful the dialogue. Yeah. So the next uh, the next one I want to bring up is uh, Pope Francis uh, released an apostolic letter on sacred scripture. He did it on what was it, the sixteen hundred anniversary of Saint Jerome's death? Is that what I was told? Somebody was talking to my ear on that before we started. Um, and so this is an apostolic letter dedicated to sacred, sacred scripture. Sorry for that. Uh, Pope Francis had said that even today, uh, Christians can learn new things from the countless translations of the Bible that exist. I am absolutely on board with that. Um, I'm going through an Old Testament class right now, and it, it's enlightening every time we, we get into the sacred scripture and, and look at translations and read and so on. Um, so there are... You know, there are a variety of translations in the Bible. Um, the Pope has said this teaches us the values and positive forms of every culture uh, rep represent uh, an enrichment of the whole church. And, and so I guess what I'm what I'm trying to tell folks is go read that letter. We're going to read that letter. We haven't had a chance to dissect it. Um, and then next week, I, Phil and I and. Terry as well are going to talk about it and kind of analyze it from our perspective and from maybe even from a Catholic doctrine per perspective a little too. I mean, we're not, we're not here to pick on the Pope. We're just, we just want to bring those issues to the forefront because I think, I don't know a lot of podcasts that are talking about apostolic letters. Maybe they're out there. There's 700,000 podcasts. I don't know. So we're, we're one among many. We are. We are. I, I don't know if I'd rather be that or the other. I'm not sure. One last thing quickly. Okay. So there's one other thing I want to bring up and, and it, and it links to the election. So uh, there was an article in the Catholic news agency about the diocese, diocese of Phoenix, having a seminar stretching, uh, uh, stressing conscience formation ahead of the election. And I just want to give you kind of a tease as we go forward. I think it'll be next week or the week after at the latest that we'll start talking about conscious formation when you're making your decisions at the ballot box. We may push it to next week because people are already voting. I, I've come run across many people who have said they've already voted. So maybe maybe we're later to this than we should be, but we're a new podcast. We're just trying to figure it out. So, but that's the only other story I wanted to bring up. I open it now to Terry and Phil for any comments or if they have other stories that they wanted to highlight. No other stories, stories that I necessarily wanted to highlight, but um, excited to read the apostolic letter. Uh, St. Jerome, 
a wonderful doctor of the church bringing us the Vulgate um, and the Pope praising him for his efforts to translate all of the different uh, various languages that the books were written in into one common language that was universal. So the beauty of that, I'll, we'll read it, we'll discuss it. Uh, again, we will be bringing resources for people to help them form their conscience so that they can make uh, a good decision towards their vote, a well-informed conscience decision towards their vote. You know, the only other, I have no other news. Um, you know, I, I guess I would like to, you know, thank Phil for sending out the very interesting article on Supreme Court nominee uh, Amy Coney Barrett uh, brought her into a completely uh, unique light for me um, and how she is redefining uh, what a successful woman is in society today. Um, and I've shared it with uh, my wife. I've shared it with a few other folks. And um, I'm looking forward uh, to hearing what she has to say uh, during her uh, Senate hearings. Um, and I also pray for her and her family. We've talked about on the pre-show, the, you know, the attacks have already started coming and will continue to come more fervently. Um, and I pray that, uh, you know, for the, for strength, for both her as a human being, as a Catholic and as a judge, and pray for strength for her family to endure uh, the stuff that's coming down the pipe, because I don't think it, uh, my impression right now is that it probably won't be pretty. I don't think it's going to be that bad. I mean, I really don't, because I think that um, although there'll be certain points where it'll be um, confrontational, especially on Roe v. Wade, I, I think that it won't be as bad as we may think it would be. It won't be, it will definitely not be as confrontational as Brett Kavanaugh. It just won't be. Um, along those lines, I will also send you an article that is from a nun that says this is totally a bad choice and that she's not in favor of this candidate. So once again, it just comes back to we have a, a plethora of different views within the large tent that is the Catholic Church, right? So, um, sure. I'm going to read. I'm going to read through that again. I don't. I don't think any of her, any of her issues with it were bogus. I thought they were. I think they were decent issues. But it just tells you there are different sides to this issue within. You know, different sides to this with even within uh, the folks within the church, because the church itself doesn't have an official stance on it. Correct. Right. And nor should they, nor should they. No, that's, those are two complete, those should be, well, they are and should remain two completely separate entities. One should not mix in the other. Um, they should stay on their own side of the fence. And this is when we go, when we go into the examination of conscience, when you're making these decisions, this is the complexity that comes in and the difficulty of, you know, making those decisions and weighing all those different issues, which we'll talk about, you know, and these are the things that we, you know, spiritedly argue, you know, before we get on here, because we 
have some different points of view. You know, we just do. Absolutely. Phil and I do for sure. <laughs> I, I agree. And that's okay. Terry, Terry, Terry tries to be a peacemaker. And, uh, and Phil is, is probably more conservative than I am. And I am more moderate. I may be labeled a liberal at times, but I, I would not consider myself a liberal. I think I'm a little bit more middle of the road. So this feeds well into our new sponsor for this podcast, Ballot Ready, who I've done quite a bit of extensive research on, and they provide a very even keeled. They're just providing the facts on the candidates and links to their uh, platforms. So they will be the new sponsor for this podcast, BallotReady.org. That's great. So that covers the news for this week. We're going to move into uh, a further discussion on pornography, and Phil is going to take the lead on that. Thank you, Bob. So we wanted to continue the conversation. I felt like it was a very fruitful conversation last week. We spoke about the truths, uh, what the what our faith informs us, how we can fall into these pitfalls, and what are some of the ways to get out, uh, especially from this cycle. A lot of places I've been reading don't like to necessarily con um, call it out as an addiction, although I would necessarily disagree with that stance. I see their point in the, um so what we want to talk about this week, starting out the conversation with the rewiring of the brain. There have been many studies that have been done on the brain and pornography and doing these brain scans. They can see both men and women scanned while they're viewing porn. They can see that their brains reacted as if the women were objects, not people. And this is the important distinction because it shows that almost dehumanizing of a person. And then it can lead to, and many studies point to this, that it can also lead to violence, becomes more acceptable in the brain. It starts to remap the way that their brain views the opposite sex. So this was kind of the catalyst for the conversation that I thought we could start with. I also wanted to touch on how one's consumption of pornography also turns our perspective into the dignity of the marital act, sex between a husband and wife, and how part of how this has leached into our culture, which has been coming in for quite a while, for decades now, how this has changed our perception to not see sex as necessarily something sacred because it's something that people can just get on their computer, their phone, their TV, whatever. So it, it really changes, you know, we talked about the mapping of the brain and how that distorts our, our view of women, but I think it also distorts our view of sex as a whole, especially the sacredness. And as the church teaches, that act should be reserved for those that are married. So going into that a little bit more, I wanted to talk about uh, some references uh, to a great website that I found that really, I think, highlights a lot of what we see and and what are some what are some of uh, perspectives that have been seen in ministry, in some of our own experiences. You know, the reason why we need to to break away from this is that it really hampers our ability to see the dignity of others right? The dignity of the other and the importance that 
God is asking of us, especially as faithful Catholics, as Christians, we need to be focused on seeing the dignity of the other. We can't discount or discredit or belittle another person because we think of them as lesser. And consumption of pornography definitely has a hampering impact, as we've seen from many studies, for our ability to see that dignity. The impact that it has on marriages, you know, there are people that I know, and I'm sure there are many others out there that are listening to this, that know people that have had their marriages impacted, either negatively or even uh, to the the worst effect where there's a divorce because of someone's, you know, compulsion with pornography. I'll turn it over to Terry or Bob to continue. I completely agree with you. And I was in, and in my research, um, I ran across uh, a document from the United States Council of Catholic Bishops uh, that was actually published in 2015. It's called Create in Me a Clean Heart. And one of the sections really kind of speaks to uh, what you were talking about, Phil. Why is pornography an offense against chastity and human dignity? And I really like the wording here. Uh, so deliberately viewing pornography is a grave sin against chastity. Sexual intimacy and the pleasure that it derives from it are gifts from God and should remain personal and private, enjoyed within the sacred bond of marriage alone. Such intimacy should not be put on display or be watched by another person, even if that person is one's own spouse. Nor should the human body be unveiled or treated in a way that objectifies it sexually and reduces it to an erotic stimulant. Jesus is clear in his teaching that sexual immorality is not only a matter of one's actions, but also a matter of one's heart. You have heard it said, and this is, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Regardless of the relationship between the parties, looking at another person with lust as only a sexual object to enjoy, control, and use is a sin. It is a disordered view of the person because it is ordered toward use as of a thing rather than love, which pertains to persons. This is why pornography can never be justified within a marriage. Um, it also goes on, talks about why pornography is likewise a grave sin against human dignity. But um, I want to be respectful of, of Bob's time here, too, and let him speak as well. Here's a question. What is lust? Can we define that from the Catholic point of view for our listeners? Because I think you go back to what Terry said. And that's a very famous Bible verse, right, uh, from what Jesus said. You know, if you look at a woman in a lustful way, right? So we need to define for our listeners what lust is. We really so, do. So from but, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2351, 
the church says, lust is disordered desire for or inordinate enjoyment of sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is morally disordered when sought for itself, isolated from its procreative and unitive purposes. Thinking about another person that is not your spouse in a way that objectifies them roughly, you know, right. trying to summarize this, is that yeah. it are right. lustful thoughts. So that's but, kind of the I, way to summarize that. And, and I, no, and I agree. A lot of this leads back to a couple of things. One, the way males are wired, where it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse for males, but males are much more visual in the, in their interpretation, right, of things. So, right, so if you see attractive women, you see women in bikinis, whatever, whatever it is, right, especially in our culture and our society, right, the, um, you know, the woman in the long dress, you know, a la 1950s, right, so when we're done with this podcast, I'm going to go watch the Perry Mason, the rest of the Perry Mason episode, and there won't be any women in bathing suits in that. There'll be women in long dresses, right? So we've kind of went away from that and become much more scadly, um, you know, dressed over over the, you know, years. And so what that does to, you know, to us, that that temptation, right? It's not meant to be possible. It's not meant to be. So it's not the woman's fault. That she's, I mean, she's not doing anything wrong, but that is a temptation for a male, right? It's a message sent to them. So, uh, you know, let's not interpret that. Let's not misinterpret this as somehow a female problem. It's not. Um, that's one thing. And then the male response of, wow, isn't she great looking? And then possibly having some sort of lustful thoughts, right? And then the ability to compartmentalize it. So what ends up happening is let's say this, this kind of leads to a chain of events where some male is consuming, we're just talking about males now consuming porn. And then afterwards they can, they can compartmentalize that, right? You know, they can, they can kind of do that. And, and so this is part of the problem with this whole thing. It's easily compartmentalized especially if you keep it secretive, right? It's got a huge secretive thing to it. Um, and, and and so by compartmentalizing, you go, it's not going to mess up my relationship with my wife, even though you know you have that covenant with your wife. And, and the more that you're involved in that behavior, the distance is created, right? The strain the more that there's distance, the more strain there is on that covenant that's God's trying to keep you together. Okay. You, but you compartmentalize it, right? Because you say, listen, I still have relations with my wife. A lot of these men have dysfunction when they have relations in their wife because at some point they can only get, you know, for lack of a better term, satisfied, right, uh, from being involved in porn they can't anymore and that's when you really stretch that thing out and, and it starts affecting other parts of your life so um that compartmentalization that rationalization that hey it's okay blah 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 blah, blah all this other stuff is really a, a a devilistic type of thing that gets into your brain and there's many men i've talked to about this so i mean i i don't think you know, this has been my experience from talking to these guys. And this is 
the the way they can do it and rationalization and the compartmentalization of it and you know so it just leads to bad relations with your with your spouse and then also the objectification which you guys talked about Phil talked about of women so now you see a woman in a bathing suit and it just becomes a more of a dehumanizing view it's almost like a you're a, a hunter and that's prey kind of relationship and so um and if that gets wired as phil talked about early on in adolescence it's very difficult to deprogram that later in life it just really is very much agree and one thing that i heard i don't remember where this is from so i'll just claim it as my own um is that when you see a beautiful woman the first thing you do is you say out loud thanks be to god for this beauty of his creation so that already your mind is then turning towards god instead of turning in i'm not saying that's easy to do or you can always do that but if you know this is a way a trigger a way for you to fall into you know further sin instead first thank god for the beauty of his creation in this other beautiful person and try to leave it at that some people will avert their eyes they'll do different things but if we start with that first recognize you know first recognizing the beauty of god's creation in these beautiful people it can be easier sometimes to then stop some of those you know that that quick downward spiral into further temptation lustful thoughts all of that so to wrap this up you know people out there that are suffering with this and i think some people don't think they're suffering um but they are suffering with this you know they need to they need to seek out help need to go to your priest and discuss it with your priest or your deacon um you need to find a therapist we talked about this last week and and, and get professional help you, you know what you need to share it with your spouse if your spouse doesn't know about it i'm going to tell you right now she knows about it right you you don't think she does if you're a male she knows about it okay so you need to share that with her you know and and try to get on the road um, for redemption and health on in this area and it's very difficult so from from my experience and, and the, the people that I've talked to and been with and because this has been an area of a ministry that I've always wanted to be involved in and have been involved in with those types of folks for a while is that it, it, it's not it's not easy this addiction and I think we we both Phil and I for sure feel comfortable not that Terry doesn't but that we feel very comfortable in calling this an addiction. And this addiction is as powerful, if not more powerful than other addictions out there, alcohol, drugs. I mean, it's, it's right up there with it. Right. Agreed. You know, agreed. And it's really an addiction of, it's an addiction of secrecy more than anything. So Absolutely. I, I just, yeah, I just, uh, I mean, so this is my plea to those folks listening to this that have those problems you know 
reach out to the resources that we link uh, on the on the show notes. Um, send us a message. Give us a testimonial. Ask for help. We're here to help you as well. I mean, we can do. We'll do whatever we can for you to get you linked up with the right people. You know. So, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Bob. Beautiful. Well said. We'll take a break and we'll be right back with St. Therese of Lisieux. That's right. Thank you. And we're back. We're going to talk about St. Therese. I wanted to say St. Vincent de Paul, but St. de Paul we did not choose this week. St. Vincent de Paul was very, very uh, worthy of being picked, but lost out in the finals. So, so we're going to kick it over to Terry. I used to go to a I got confirmed. I went to RCIA and got confirmed at a church called St. Vincent de Paul. So it's near and dear to my heart. So, but I, I'm happy with St. Therese because I, I'm a big fan of hers as well. Go ahead, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. Well, like St. Vincent de Paul is near and dear to your heart, Bob, uh, St. Therese of Lisieux is very near and dear to my heart as I had the opportunity Back in 2000, when I was on a pilgrimage in Germany and France to actually uh, make a visit to her home and uh, really, really kind of delve in deep or a little deeper uh, than I had previously uh, to this wonderful, wonderful saint. So um, since I'm the guy that's profiling the saint, I, I picked St. Therese of Lisieux. So uh, her feast day is October the 1st. Uh, she is the patron saint of florists, missionaries, pilots, and priests. She was the youngest of nine children born in Alençon, France, on January 2nd, 1873. Two days later, she was baptized Marie-Francois-Thérèse Martin. Her father, Louis, was a successful watchmaker and a jeweler. Her mother, Zeely Guerin, built a cottage industry in lace making, beginning in the village of Alençon, which is known for its delicate lace. Both parents had wanted to commit to religious life, but were unsuccessful in their endeavors. Four of Therese's siblings died at a very young age, the remaining five girls eventually entered the convent, so deep was their call to sanctity. Four became contemplative Carmelite nuns at Lisieux, and one became a visitation sister. Therese, however, wasn't always a nun, nor was she always a saint. She was a very regular little girl who was rather sensitive. In fact, she seemed like a spoiled little girl who would stomp her feet and have a temper tantrum if she did not get her own way. Therese lost her mother at the age of four to breast cancer. Her 16-year-old sister Pauline became her second mother, which made the second loss even worse when Pauline entered the Carmelite convent five years later. It was during this time that their father, moved Therese along with the family from Alençon to Lisieux. 
A few months after Pauline had entered the convent, Therese became so ill with a fever that people thought she was dying. She was healed by Our Lady of the Smile at age 11. She experienced a very profound conversion on Christmas Eve, 1886, at the age of 13. She would later write in her autobiography, The Story of a Soul, On that blessed night, the sweet infant Jesus, scarcely an hour old, filled the darkness of my soul with floods of light by becoming weak and little for love of me. He made me strong and brave. He put his own weapons into my hands so that I went on from strength to strength, beginning, if I may say so, to run as a giant. Therese was educated by the Benedictines of the convent of Notre Dame du Prix. When she was 15, she applied for permission to enter the Carmelite convent. She felt a call to enter Carmel as a contemplative nun so that she could give herself totally to Jesus. But at that time, she was too young. Appeals to the mother superior and priest chaplain yielded when you are old enough at the age of 16. Not content, Therese and her father appealed to the bishop. When that was unsuccessful, she went to Rome with her father and her father was as eager to give her to God as she was to give herself to seek the consent of the Holy Father, Pope Leo XIII, then celebrating his jubilee. He preferred to leave the decision in the hands of the superior who finally consented, and on the 9th of April in 1888, at the unusual age of 15, Therese Martin entered the convent of Lisieux, where two of her sisters had preceded her. She took the religious name of Sister Therese of the Child of Jesus and the Holy Face. In 1889, the Martin sisters suffered a great shock. Their father, after two paralytic strokes, had a mental breakdown and had to be removed to a private sanitarium where he remained for three years. Therese Therese bore this grievous sorrow heroically. On September 8, 1890, at the age of 17, Therese took her final vows. In spite of poor health, she carried out from the first all the austerities of the stern Carmelite rule, except that she was not permitted to fast because of her health. Still dreaming of taking on the world as a priest and a missionary, she wrestled with her vocation and her place in the church. Finally, she came to realize that her vocation was love. The love of God was the energy source for the church and for the fulfillment of, human, of the human heart and longing. Despite her desire for the dramatic and expansive, Therese developed a simple spirituality based on a childlike trust and confidence in God, the spiritual, spirituality of her little way was not about extraordinary things, but rather doing simple things of life well and with extraordinary love. While in the convent, Therese embraced the way of perfection outlined by the foundress 
St. Teresa of Avila, fulfilling with genuine fervor and fidelity the various community responsibilities entrusted to her. Her faith was tested by the illness of her beloved father, who died on July 29, 1894. Therese, nevertheless, grew in sanctity, enlightened by the word of God and inspired by the gospel to place love at the center of everything. She once wrote, what matters in life is not great deeds, but great love. During the night between Holy Thursday and Good Friday in 1896, she suffered a pulmonary hemorrhage. Although her bodily and spiritual sufferings were extreme, she wrote many letters to members of her family and to distant friends. She carried on correspondence with her Carmelite sisters at Hanoi, China. They wished her to come out and join them, not realizing the seriousness of her ailment. She had a great yearning to respond to their appeal. She kept working without telling anyone until she became so sick. A year later, everyone knew it. And worst of all, she had lost her joy and confidence and felt she would die young without leaving anything behind. Her pain was so great that she said that if she had not had faith, she would have taken her own life without hesitation. But she tried to remain smiling and cheerful and succeeded so well that some thought she was only pretending to be ill. Her one dream as the work she would do after death helping those on earth. I will return, she said. My heaven will be spent on the earth. She died on September 30th, 1897, at the age of 24 years old. She felt she herself felt it was a blessing God allowed her to die at exactly that age. She always felt that she had a good vocation to be a priest and felt and felt God let her die at the age she would have been ordained if she had been a man so that she would not have to suffer. Therese's final words were, My God, I love thee. Only 26 years after her death, she was beatified by Pope Pius XI, and in the year of Jubilee, 1925, he canonized her a saint. Two years later, she was named Heavenly Patroness of Foreign Missions along with St. Francis Xavier. On October 19, 1997, Pope John Paul II proclaimed her a doctor of the church, only the third woman to be so recognized in light of her holiness and her influence on the, uh, of her teaching on the spirituality of the church. Her parents, Louis and Zeely were beatified in 2008 and canonized in 2015. The only parents-daughter combination that I am aware of that have been canonized saints. And gentlemen, that is Therese of Lisieux. Beautiful saint, beautiful story. I have only a couple things that I wanted to add. There's this beautiful poem that St. Therese wrote while in adoration called To Live of Love. I will link to it. It's moderately lengthy, but it's a beautiful read. And then this cool fact that I found, uh, St. 
John Pope St. John Paul II canonized roughly 482 people, and St. Therese of Lisieux was the only one that he declared a doctor. So you can show the importance that St. John Paul II saw in what she was teaching. For clarification, for people that don't know, someone is named a doctor of the church. By the way, St. Therese of Lisieux is the youngest doctor of the church. They're named a doctor because of their writings, their teachings. And so because St. Therese is really a teacher for our time, which is exactly what St. John Paul II said, she enriches and helps us on our spiritual journey. I love the practicality and the simplicity, right? I've always loved that about her um, and the purity of it. It is ironic that she was um, canonized. She was declared a saint five years after the day Five years and a day after Joan of Arc. Kind of a contrast in styles there. Just a little bit, yeah. Just a little bit. So for those, you know, we just talked about doctors of the church. We said there were three women, right? So for all our listeners, we named one of them. If you know the other two, leave us a message, either on iTunes or better yet, send a send an email to strangecatholics at gmail.com. That's strangecatholics at gmail.com. Strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. <laughs> That's why I don't <laughs> say it. Leave us, a, leave us a message and sing sing a few notes from the great song, Doctor, Doctor, from the 1980s, which I'm sure Phil will not know who sang that. It's true. I won't know who sang that. So I apologize to all those that know the answer. But if you do know the answer to who the other uh, female doctors of the church are, please send us an email, strangecatholicspod at gmail.com, and we would love to give you a shout out on our next show. It's time for us to move to closing prayer and prayer intentions. But what we, hey, folks, we try to have a little bit of a levity here towards the end of the broadcast. I mean, we're supposed to be having fun here. And we're supposed to be spreading the gospel and we're supposed to be talking Catholic things, but we're also supposed to have fun. Okay. So I'm the one that's delegated to do the fun, I guess, this week. You're making Um, fun. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. (laughs) Okay. So we're all just a little too serious at times. So before we get to the closing prayer, which Terry's going to do and all the prayer intentions, we want to thank everyone for listening and we want everybody to go on their podcast platform whichever way you listen to us mostly it's apple Podcasts, but there are other methods but go on there and rate us five stars is great because then other people get to find us out so we can raise you know the you know increase the amount of people that listen to us and please share this with other people i've had people talk to me over the last couple weeks says i've i've listened to your podcast i've told somebody i told everybody in my prayer group about your podcast all that other stuff. So the more we spread that, we're spreading the gospel, right? That's what we're doing here. And so we appreciate everybody who's doing that. So do that. Leave us a message. Do all those kind of things. And now Phil's going to do his spiel. So you can go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to find other episodes, to leave us a voice message. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links for all of this will be in the description. I don't want to forget St. Therese of Lisieux. Pray for us. Pray for us, yes. Pray for us. All right, so now we go into our closing prayer and prayer intentions from the 
if I was king for just one day, Harry, <laughs> you might remember that song. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are such a good and gracious God. You love us and you guide us and you just help us through all the challenges in life. Father, we lift up all of the intentions that we have in our hearts, but especially for all of those uh, who are ex experiencing anxiety or any other kind of mental anguish because of COVID-19. May the Holy Spirit come down upon them and breathe God's love in them. For Diane and her family, as they continue to walk with their father through his final journey. For our government leaders, that they use wise, the wise judgment of Solomon as they lead our country. For peace and unity among all people of our nation. For Eva, who is suffering from COVID-19, May God grant her quick healing in body, mind, and spirit. And for all expectant mothers, may God bless them and grant them a healthy pregnancy and the joys of motherhood. God, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for this time together as brothers in Christ. We thank you for the beautiful people who listen in. And we just lift all of these up and ask for your blessing to shower down upon each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 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 That was great. Thank thanks you. again, everyone. Yeah, thanks again, everyone, for listening to us. And until next week, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day. And may God bless you.